0: G'day, Clayton here from XY with Danny and a special guest who's flown all the way over from the UK, literally just to get on this podcast. That's uh, it. Uh, it it's, it's the only reason
1: I'm here, Clay. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's Nick, uh, the founder CEO of Intelliflow. Thanks for joining. Thank you.
1: Delighted to be here.
0: Uh, when I was in the UK in June, I actually the only time I left London was to go to your offices in Wimbledon. And because um, you've got a fascinating story and the fact that we kind of g- get a chance to go behind the scenes a little, I'm pretty
1: excited about. So, um, so, so, Claire, I'm now realizing that actually now you said the date you came to us in, in, in Wimbledon. Yes. You're just like everyone else who only comes us to Wimbledon to visit us in June, July, a fortnight <laughs> in that summer. Everybody, they all do it. It's It's
2: the same thing with the Australian Open,
1: isn't
0: it? That's hilarious. Um, So, uh, what on earth got you into financial planning advice
1: tech? Oh, long story to that. So, so we built uh, an original technology solution. This is way back in the late 90s. Cool. To operate across something called the internet. it It might be new to you, it was certainly new to everyone back then. And we built this CRM workflow and document management capability and thought, wow, this is going to be fantastic. Yes. About a week and a half later, I read through um, some some journal. When journals were actually like, you know, paper and you you used to read like that. About this little company in the States called Salesforce, who were also doing that. Right, But Larry Ellison had invested like 35 million bucks in them or something. So I thought, right, okay, we're not <laughs> going to do this generic CRM workflow stuff anymore. Let's right. find some vertical market industries. Awesome. And the second one we found was financial advice business. And it was really, uh, and, and uh, well, firstly, the first one was the legal businesses. And that was a real nightmare, to be honest, because they were so backward about technology. Yeah. I went into a training session. We were a tiny business at the time, just three people, I think. Uh, and it's at that stage of a business when you wear all the hats. You, we, we, we all know that. And oh, yeah. It's kind of cool as well. And you answer him. the
2: phone as yeah, different you people. Yeah, yeah, yeah you, you do. Yeah, voice, yeah, yeah, no.
1: yeah, I'll hand you over in a few seconds. Yeah, yeah. I'm here now. Yes, yeah, so that's fine. Lane's yeah. also been
2: Cathy in my previous life. He, he knows it.
1: So I sat in this room to train our first legal client. And it was a big sort of boardroom type desk. And there were six people all around and there were monitors in front of them. The monitors were quite big in those days. This was before all the sort of the flat screen stuff. And I yes. said, right, it all operated on Windows at the time. And um, I said, right, okay, first thing to do, we're gonna start the application. So if you're just using your mouse, click on the icon in the top left-hand corner of the screen. Right. Pretty simple, right, you'd think? Yeah. All six of the people I was training at that point in time picked their mouse up and hovered and pushed it onto the top left of the screen. <laughs> I thought, oh, my God, this is going to take a long time. Oh, in
0: the that's late 90s. Backward, that's
1: how backward it was. Yeah. I'm not going to say the firm name because if they ever <laughs> listen to this, I'm screwed. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so financial advice, was the sec- uh, financial advice Business was the second firm we, right. we, we spoke to. And the technology in the U.K. at the time was just dreadful. It was sure. really dreadful. So yeah. we saw a huge opportunity. Yeah. And then I started finding out over the next few years actually what you know, a financial advisor was, because I didn't know right at that time, and started understanding the value proposition, the difference they made. And ever since there, I've been, uh, you know, I've been a huge fan of financial advice as a profession, and what it does and what it means to people. And if we can empower those advisors to be better, more efficient, deliver advice to more people, that's a pretty good outcome.
0: That is a great, uh, yeah, that mission is essentially why we exist as a company as well. Yeah, yeah. To, to drive the positive evolution of financial advice because of the impact that the uh, profession has on um, the everyday person. Um, so where does, at what stage, so y- late 90s, early 2000s, you're picking a your niche, you're going after the financial planning market. Um, at what stage, and this, you'll let me know uh, how far ahead we're skipping, but you've also emanated a bunch of, of companies into where you are now, so when did, when did that become a strategy uh, rather than just say, because it's build or buy, right? Yeah. It's, it's always build or buy. So at what stage
1: does buy make more sense than build? Um. Buy. I think buy always makes sense if what you're buying actually is complementary. The technology is well aligned, so it's not just. So there's two bits here. There's the functional thing. Mm. Actually, there's three bits. There's the functional bit. So what does the actual capability of the software do, and does it complement what you're doing very very well? The second bit is how's the technology even been built, because how it's built actually determines very much whether you can actually integrate it seamlessly. And we're all about joined-up user experiences, whether it's for the end client, for the advisor, power planner, whoever it might be. So you need that, that real technical alignment. Yes. And you'll be amazed at how many technology solutions that are out there that aren't well techn- well constructed. Yes. Because um, it's easy to build software now. It's not easy to build great software. Yeah. Um, so that's the... And then the third bit, which is probably actually the most important of all, is culturally. You know, what's the team like? What are the people like? Are they going to... Are, are you all going to work more effectively together? Yes. Um, and sometimes that involves acquiring where sometimes some people don't fit the mold and that's okay you know that's if if, if 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 they can be part of the journey that's great but those kind of people sometimes don't find a way and that'll move on to something different and that's fine too
2: so nick you say something interesting there there's a difference between technology and great technology it's not that hard to build technology but great technology there is a big technology race mm-hmm in the Australian market what have you identified as, as the really important value adds for the advice businesses like what have you what have you analyzed is the important thing that your business has to nail to create advocates
1: i think i think it's a similar it's, it's not just about the australia here either i think it's the same challenge that's happening in lots of other countries around the world it's definitely happening in the us it's happened and continues to happen to a certain extent in the uk and that's where technology grows and grows and grows and gets to a stage where it actually becomes less useful than it was originally it kind of loses its way hundred percent and that's and that's challenging for software businesses because they've got to work out how do you innovate and change and if you think about it from a software business perspective a lot of the time a lot of the challenges they have is all their technical engineers are telling them we need to rewrite stuff on this latest cool technology because that's that's what we want to do and that's why we're in this marketplace you've got to complement that with realizing that actually the software itself, what it does, what it's there for, actually innovates and evolves too, because it all has to evolve. And this marketplace is changing at the same time. So how do you do both of those things? And I think you do it in two ways. I think you do, you firstly, you have an open, open API structure. So your total open architecture is about how things should work in the marketplace. Because ultimately, our customers are financial advisors, and their their clients are the end investor you know whoever they may be the The advisors want technology that works and does sometimes some quite niche things, and sometimes that means they'll be taking they 'll be utilizing software from third parties, mm-hmm. but that needs to integrate with the the whole and you can 't just say, "Look okay." We're going to build a bad version of that, but it's, at least it's our, our version.
2: It's tick the box. Yeah,
1: yeah, you can't do that. So you need to enable that, that to happen. And, and we found, your, your original question, Clay, was about how we brought businesses together and when it was. Yeah. One of the businesses we brought together started life as a, as a store partner of ours. So they built an API integration to us. We put them on our marketplace. This has been running for sort of six years or so in the UK now. Wow. And that business was doing really, really well. And guess what? We saw that it was doing really well because we got perfect access to the data. Yes. So we started talking to the team. They're a great bunch of people. Yeah. And said, right, why don't we do something together on this? And that's what started the conversation around, around corporate. So that's one part of the strategy, which is that open bit. The second bit is you also have to, I think more increasingly now, you have to understand that user journeys have to be really well joined up. And it's it's for all of the actors in that place. It's not just the advisor. It's not just the client. It's not just the power planner. It's all three of them working working in in, in perfect harmony. And that sometimes means you do need to build new stuff yourselves. Now, if your architecture is solid, and for me, I'm an unashamed multi-tenant SaaS fan, God, that sounds horribly geeky now I've just said it.
2: (laughs) You're going to have to break that down. (laughs) I'm going to
1: have to break that down. So SaaS, software as a service. So Salesforce is is probably the best example of a multi-tenant SaaS. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, actually, all it really means is that you've got a single version of the code. So if you look at us today now, we have a single version of the code in Australia, the US, and the UK. We make 18 to 30 changes a day. Whoa. Wow. Every time one of those changes goes in, it happens 20 milliseconds mm-hmm. later in the next two regions. So that means we've got a single version of the code. Okay, there's regionalization on top of that that makes it yep. sound Aussie or sound UK or, 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 or whatever and talks, to, to, you know, um, has, has the right kind of parameters set up there. Yes. But ultimately, it's still a single version. So that means whenever we make a change, we're only changing to one version. The mm-hmm. death of software businesses is lots and lots of different versions of your software everywhere because it becomes incredibly difficult to support. Yes. That's what the cloud introduced. They introduced that single version. Back in the old days, people used to get CD-ROMs or before that, tapes even, (laughs) and had to update things, but they wouldn't update and they'd get it wrong and then you'd have support problems. But it was a huge revenue model for tech companies to
0: customize their their technology for each client. And then when SaaS came along... The business model shifted and so it was no longer, hey, pay us an extra few million dollars and we'll make it just right for you. That It killed that business model. Yeah. And, and for companies that were dependent upon that business model, it's been a huge impact.
1: Yeah, a huge impact. Yeah. And I mean, we see that a lot. We talk to a lot of institutional um, firms who've built their own software yes. or paid a third party to build the software for them. Yeah, you know, They spend tens of millions, hundreds of billions of dollars or whatever it is. And guess what? Three years later, they realize they've just rolled it out because it probably has taken three years and it's out of date. The yeah. moment they launch it, it's out of date and it doesn't do what they need to. Totally. So then they might start again and start with another one. But with SaaS, you know, it continually evolves. Yes. That's actually the deal. That's the contract you sign with your SaaS vendor that they're going to innovate and keep updating the software. Yeah. If they're not, if they don't do that, they're not really SaaS. Yeah.
0: Fair play. I, I, the reason I was asking originally around the, the M&A, um, uh, because uh, obviously you guys have come into Australia after some substantial success in, into the UK. Um, my first thought was when you mentioned it, that it's, um, you know, customized for each country or each territory. My first thought is in the UK when you open up the screen, does it say, oh, we lost the ashes again? Oh. No, I'm kidding, I'm <laughs> kidding, I'm kidding. So, um, so... How, uh, how did the football game go uh, this week? Sorry, or anyway. Something? Uh, sure. Yeah, something's <laughs> happening. Oh, hi, that person over there. Um, so, um, so my question is regarding uh, the US, right? So um, is US, ha- obviously, the, you know, for us as well, like the reason why we've changed from XY Advisor to Ensemble is because we're moving over to the US and US is a big market um is it are you the the uh, strategy is UK Australia US or is it Australia US at the same time um, how, how, what's the rollout? What's the rollout strategy?
1: It's all three at the same time because we've wow. still got loads of we've got uh, lots to do in the UK as well. You know, Respect. so we have a decent market share, some yep. 46 percent in the UK, but there's still a way to go. We're bringing new innovative products to that marketplace too, yep. which also will come into Australia and and, and and the US too. It's ultimately bringing all of those uh, all of those markets up at up at the same point in time because they're all. At, whether you look at them from a technology perspective they're all at slightly different stages if you're looking at them from a marketplace and the profession the advice profession you know I think you know The U.S. advice profession is changing and they've got a a way to go. That's really, really interesting. The technology in some respects is pretty good out there. And two of the businesses, sorry, three of the businesses actually that are part of the group now, part of the single group, are U.S. software businesses originally. Wow. And so a lot of our digitized account opening, money movement type stuff which is stuff that we've got in the States, is also now going to come into, into into Australia and the UK. Awesome. So you can just see how all this stuff starts complementing each other. We want to continue to do that, continue to innovate on, 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 on what we've got already. Yeah.
0: Um, it, it's a very interesting point that you make. It is Professionalism is increasing in financial advice around the world, or or simultaneously, as is the expectation of what software delivers. One of the best lines I've ever heard, uh, I'll I'll attribute it to the author, is Matt Hein from NetWealth, who said, um, people expect the same technology experience that they just encountered, and more often than not, it's Google or Facebook, yeah. and so when when someone's coming from that environment, they need to keep that standard, right? Like totally. It's, yeah. And so what I what I like about your uh, strategy and the way that you're talking about how it's rolling out globally is that the standard exists, and it's our job in our profession to meet that standard, and and that standard is is is, is you know unanimously uh, desired globally. So. That's cool. I'm 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 happy that we're not just the little backwater. Um, you know uh, it, it, that you, that you're being nice and saying, oh look, we'll we'll give the Aussies a you know a couple of little bits of software before we move over to the US. It's very it's nice of you to to, to even because um, because the industry is a lot
1: smaller here compared to the UK or the US. So. Um, I, do you Nin- l- 95% of the stuff we build yes. is the same in all three territories. That's wild. 95%. 5% of it is that configuration layer across the top that makes it a little bit different for each market. Sure. And because we have an open API structure, actually integrations with Things that are proprietary to a particular territory are just done by the third party with our API, so we don't yeah. actually we don't actually have to do the coding work behind that either. So that, you know, that's into uh, to be fair, that's the kind of the Salesforce strategy as well. You know, they've they've grown up through a lot of cap- capacity and capability that they haven't had a thing to do with. Yes, they've just provided a, a, a framework to do it. Yes. You know, back to your point of, of, of the, the kind of the advice journey. When I look at it, this, and we, we did some research on this you've got the kind of if you think of that new client advice journey you've got onboarding yes you've got the advice itself yes. and then you've got the implementation of that advice sure, yep. whatever it is when you do the the con- consumer research the bit in the middle the clients really like they like the advice bits bit. highly personalized It's telling them something about them it's yes. it's uh, in it's an interactive approach yes and they're coming up with it or your advisor is coming up with a plan that you think will will help you in your future life, you know, yes. whether that's your immediate, immediate lifetime or, or your retirement or whatever it might be. They love that bit. They hate the onboarding because they have to go through something called fact-finding, Yeah. which actually isn't fact-finding. Very often it's guest finding because you're asking pertinent questions of a client that they don't really know the answer to. So they're going to make some of it up. Yeah. Technology takes the strain from that and actually makes it become really interesting. Yes. And then the implementation bit, and this is to your point, it's just terrible. It is an actual terrible experience. These are, you know, we're all used these days to buying something from Amazon where we just click a button and that's it. 100%. And sure, some stuff happens in the background. But as far as we're concerned, transactions concluded. I press the button and I know because of Amazon Prime it's going to arrive tomorrow or same day in some places. So, you know, that's incredible. Yes financial advice isn't like that that implementation bit across various platforms and other other third parties is really rubbish it's really rubbish and that's the stuff that we want to improve
2: so when we go from like obviously that's the meeting of the standard yeah looking for when when does it come to a point what would you like to see where you're exceeding the standard like what does the next kind of five years we go look instead of just catching up and providing that experience that's been set do you think that uh, advice will ever be, technology-enabled advice will ever be in a position to go, we're actually setting the standard? Wow. Like, what does that look like and is that would five Would that be great? 10? It would be so, but why isn't it possible? It's, it's
1: Of course yeah. it's possible. Come on, Nick. Of course yeah. it's possible. Technology can do pretty much anything, so long as you've got the time and the money, unfortunately, to actually build that stuff. And that's one part, again, back to... It's not Australia's definitely not a backwater for us. It's because it's this single strategy. Actually, yeah. it doesn't matter where people are sit. You know, whether they're in the US, whether they're in Australia, or they're in the UK, they're still using exactly that same technology platform. So all we're doing is we're just getting more people onto that, and the more users are on there, that actually helps us fund. You know, the stuff we're doing. The we,
2: next level experience. Yeah, exactly.
1: And that next level experience, I think, is going to be. You know, it, for me now, mm. this is all this entire marketplace in everywhere around the world by the way, is about clients experiencing that experiences, those wow moments. Yeah. As a as a client, you want to have wow moments with your advice, you know, because it's incredibly important to you. So why shouldn't it be wow moments? We we owe it to clients to make these wow yeah. moments. It's so almost
2: the outcome that's wow, but if you can bring that that front journey to that same level that yeah. what they experience in four years time of working with an advisor, that's the huge opportunity yeah. that, yeah. that, that advisors would love uh, from what we hear
0: awesome hey Nick thank you so much for uh, jumping into the podcast uh, and sharing with us it's been great loved it cheers absolutely love it